I'm Paul Wiegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host for today. Joining me today from various locations are Kate Rance and the Artistic Director and Violinist for Seraphin Ensemble and a violist with the Seraphin Ensemble, Luke Fleming. Welcome, Kate. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Hi, Luke. Hi. So, thank you, Paul. So glad you can both join us today. Uh, Seraphon Ensemble is uh, plowing ahead in a post-COVID world with an incredibly ambitious string of live performances coming up. Kate, uh, just for listeners who are a little newer to the show, uh, just briefly, what is Seraphon Ensemble? So Seraphin Ensemble is a roster of 12 artists that um, collaborate together in concerts here, there, and everywhere. Um, every June, we have a Seraphin Summer Music Chamber Music Festival in Wilmington, Delaware, and um, the roster artists, as well as friends and guests, join us for three weeks of wonderful concerts. And you must be thrilled to be getting back into a string of live performances. That is truly an indescribable experience, and I, I think that I could say that's echoed around the globe with every performing artist that I know and every music lover that I know. Um, everybody is so anxious and excited to be able to get back together in a concert space and experience live music, make live music, collaborate together and share with audiences. Now you've also been doing during the COVID period uh, some virtual performances as well. And I, I'm looking at your schedule of upcoming events, and it looks like you're kind of doing some combination hybrid type things. Can, can you talk about what that involves, putting that all together? Well, it's a whole new world, really, um, in delivering music experiences to audiences because of the pandemic. And so the Music School of Delaware, for example, and just one of many, many all around the world has outfitted itself to be able to live stream with good quality sound and good quality audio. <clears throat> and so, yes, we do a dual delivery. So, you know, we've been in a phase where some people are, uh, can't wait to come out to a live concert and sit in the hall and they're not concerned about it. And others still have their worries um, or reasons why they can't. But what we've also discovered is that the live streaming option allows us to reach reach audiences around the world, literally. So we've had people tune in from all around the United States, California, Florida. Um, we've had people tune in from Africa and from Norway. So um, it also has opened up some new possibilities for reaching additional audiences. Um, we're very pleased that we're able to have, at the moment, small, limited live audiences come and join us in the hall and we're looking forward to when we can go back to having more people together. Yeah, this is really exciting. And we're gonna take a look at some of your specific upcoming performances. But let me turn to you, Luke. I believe this is your first time on this show. Is that correct? Correct, yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself as a musician and how you got involved with Seraphin Ensemble. Uh, well, I, the way I got involved with Seraphin was um, the uh, back when the Seraphin String Quartet was was uh, in existence. They um, the violist of the ensemble uh, needed to go on maternity leave, and it, as it turns out, completely coincidentally, she had been my teacher briefly at a summer program at uh, the Interlochen Arts Camp in Michigan. Uh, but uh, I had been 
a part of a festival for a number of years that Kate's brother, Will, runs called the Highlands Pastures Jam Music Festival uh, down in Georgia. Uh, or, no, sorry, North Carolina. Um, Will teaches in Georgia. But um, Will had recommended me. So Kate just called me and asked, can you sub in for a couple of concerts? And a couple of concerts turned into a couple of months of concerts and one tour. And uh, so Kate and I, you know, kept in touch after that. Um, it was a pretty long period of time where we didn't play together. But then when Kate started this ensemble, she um, asked me to be a part of the roster. And, you know, we kind of had kept up with each other. And it's, it's been a, a blast getting to uh, have this be a, a, another part of my kind of freelance chamber musician life. But um, beyond that, I, you know, I used to play in a, a string quartet uh, full-time uh, called the Ataka Quartet, uh, which is a pretty well-known string quartet um, in America worldwide. Uh, I, I left in 2015 uh, and started a group called the Manhattan Chamber Players, which in some respects is kind of like the Seraphin Ensemble uh, in terms of structure. It's a chamber music collective as well. Uh, and I've been spending a uh, a lot of my time doing that. We play concerts all over the U.S. and the world, and I also run a festival down in New Orleans, which is where I'm from, and I've been doing that festival every year since 2016. So in, in terms of the pandemic and how it's affected musicians, and not just performers like myself, but people who run uh, series and festivals and groups, uh, so I've kind of received the effect of the coronavirus on all uh, ends of, of the way classical uh, music purveyors are, are dealing with it. Um, so seeing uh, a summer ahead of me where I don't have more than three days in a row that aren't booked up, it's very encouraging. I think uh, particularly chamber musicians are looking forward to a summer where we can feel some semblance of normal. But of course, that's with a, a, a huge amount of cautious optimism because um, it was around this time last year where every day I would have about five emails canceling concerts that uh, I had upcoming. Um, for a couple of weeks there, I, you know, I was losing five gigs a day. And uh, even though now we're a little bit more slowly adding gigs every day, uh, I think we all have to be very cognizant of the fact that, that they could just as easily be, be taken away by any number of variables that we just are unsure of uh, with respect to the safety of getting back into the concert hall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see spikes in Michigan, for example, and you know, we, we can't caution people enough to uh, continue exercising the proper protocols for uh, uh, controlling this uh, pandemic beyond just counting on vaccines either in the near or not so near future. Uh, Luke, uh, where did you do your study? I'm, I'm curious. So, was it down was in kind of, Louisiana or? I was kind of all over the place. I started in Louisiana public schools. Uh, I went to undergrad at Louisiana State University. Uh, but then I did um, a postgraduate diploma at the Royal Academy of Music in London, which is uh, where my teacher at LSU also taught. Uh, and uh, after that, I came to Juilliard and did my master's and uh, doctorate in artist diploma in New York. And I lived in New York for uh, 15 years. And started a group called the Manhattan Chamber Players, which right. is as New York as it gets. But, you know, actually, since the pandemic, I've relocated and moved back down to New Orleans. Um, there's just been so little need to live in a specific place during this time. Mm -hmm. And frankly, even when things go back to normal, uh, that there's 
very uh, little need for me anyway with with all the different musical activities I have to to be in New York. Uh, but but that's where I've, I've been for a very long time. I've recently moved back to New Orleans, where my family's from. Well, Kate, let's turn back to Seraphin Ensemble and your upcoming programming and some of the considerations you put in mind. I know by sort of morphing from the Seraphin String Ensemble to the Seraphin Ensemble, it has given you a much greater latitude for repertoire and for inclusion of musicians. So how, how is your upcoming programming reflecting that? Right, so yes, I'm completely relishing being able to have the expanded roster of artists that includes winds and voice. Um, and that's reflected in the programming for Seraphim Summer Music. It's also reflected in our upcoming concerts on uh, May 2nd at the Arts in, at Trinity. Um, and also our program on May the 5th at the Music School of Delaware. So in our concert on May 5th, uh, we're going to be including the double bass and playing the two quintets that include the double bass, one by Schubert, very famous one called the Trout and uh, familiar to most chamber music aficionados, and one that's not heard so often by Hummel, um, but is for the same configuration. Um, we're also, and so the Trout Quintet is, has an essential element, which is that it's got a, a, a variation set that is based on a song called Die Pharrell, the Trout, that Schubert wrote. And um, the commissioner of the work asked that it, that be included in the Trout Quintet. So we're also going to actually have the song sung so people can make the connection between that uh, original song and how it gets utilized in the Trout Quintet. Mm. Um, so we're very excited about that program and including Miles Brown, one of our roster artists. He's on the University of Delaware faculty. Um, just a terrific collaborative artist and wonderful musician. And um, featuring the bass is not something you get to do too often. So we're just excited to put the double bass in the spotlight as well. Um, the program at the Arts and Trinity will also have a very interesting nugget for violin and bass by a composer that I had never heard of, Finn Deason. Uh, Finn Deason apparently wrote a lot of music for bass and other instruments. And this is a set of four sort of character pieces. It's called romantic pieces. And they're very characterful. And those will be played by Amos Fayette, one of our Seraphim roster artists, um, just phenomenal violinist, along with Miles Brown again, uh, putting him in the spotlight. Along with that, um, the, uh, I mean, I feel like returning to the stage, we need to, we need to really give audiences those pieces that they relish that they've, they never tire of returning to. So that program has the Schumann Piano Quintet, which is just a quintessential favorite of musicians and audiences. And also this beautiful um, string quartet, the very first string quartet that Mozart wrote, I think he was about 14, um, Kirschel number 80. It's uh, nicknamed the Lodi Quartet because he wrote it when he was in Lodi, Italy. Um, and so, again, there's a lot of variety. When we get to Seraphim Summer Music, we're going to be not only including strings, piano, and voice, and the double bass, of course, um, but also featuring oboes, English horn, uh, flute, and um, horn. So mm -hmm. our whole second week is actually really highlighting works for combinations of winds and strings. And um, 
it's just so fun. It's really broadening my own personal knowledge of chamber music repertoire because, you know, I played string quartets and the extensions of the quartet my whole life. Um, but, and I guess I could say I'm sort of a specialist at that repertoire, but bridging beyond that has really been exciting. I'm discovering amazing works that I didn't know anything about. Well, I'd like to pursue some more of your programming, but let me first remind our listeners that you are tuned into News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV for Delaware State of the Arts. Joining me today are Kate Ransom, the artistic director and violinist for Seraphin Ensemble, and Luke Fleming, on the, a violist on the roster. Uh, Kate, you, you touched on something I, I found interesting because what I'm also hearing from the theater community, which I'm more closely affiliated with, and trying to decide what to do for programming as you open up to live audiences. Uh, as you were talking, I was thinking there's, there's a sense of wanting to be adventuresome in, in your programming, but also recognizing there is some trepidation, as you alluded to earlier, uh, among some audience members of coming back, that there's almost a need for, lack of a better term, comfort food, you know, to, be, to, have, to have repertoire, to have programming that that can, you know, encourage them to come back, feel good about being back, and then use that opportunity to ex explore uh, new repertoires. Is that kind of what you're finding? Uh, that's definitely my approach with Seraphin's summer music. I have this wonderful palette of seven programs that I get to design, and that's the one of the great joys and challenges of being the artistic director, but I find it tremendously creative and fun. Um, but yes, uh, for a couple of reasons. One is returning from the hiatus that we've all experienced of live music, but also because Seraphin Summer Music is a new festival. Mm -hmm. And I want uh, the audiences to experience, first of all, the amazing quality of the artists that are going to deliver this music. Um, the artists actually are going to win everybody over. They did in season one. Season two had to be suspended and coming back, I just want to build that trust and confidence. So um, I don't want the programming to be too adventuresome that it would become a deterrent for, for um, any chamber music lover. So you'll see a lot of standards, um, a lot of comfort food, if you will, as you mentioned, that's a great way to think of it. Um, and the more eclectic pieces are um, very friendly eclectic pieces, if you will. So for example, a late romantic composer like Niels Gada, he's not very well known, but he was in the enclave with Schumann and Brahms and his music is very accessible. Um, uh, a piece like the wonderful Beethoven Opus 87 Trio for two oboes and English horn. We have two phenomenal oboists, John Dee from Chicago and Mitchell Kuhn, who's um, one of the newest artists on the astral artist roster, and the marvelous Elizabeth Starr Masudnia from English Horn from the Philadelphia Orchestra, playing this amazing trio that Beethoven wrote, Opus 87. It's as great a piece as any of the wonderful string quartets by Beethoven, and um, yet it's rarely programmed. Um, and I couldn't tell you why that is, but I'm delighted to be able to share it with audiences. Um, so the only 21st century piece on the whole um, set of programs for Seraphim Summer Music is 
a horn trio by Lowell Lieberman, who was born in 1962. Um, it is a beautiful, wonderful piece that does reminisce towards the famous Brahms horn trio. Um, but I'm really looking forward to performing that myself with um, John David Smith, a terrific horn player who's on the University of Delaware faculty and the Serapin roster, and the Steinway artist, Victor Asuncion, uh, playing piano for that. Um, so that gives you a little bit of the overview. The opening weekend is really a fun and festive beginning with one program devoted entirely to Gershwin. Um, one program that is uh, kind of crazy, it's uh, sibling rivalry. And we have three pairs of siblings, the Norwegians, J uh, Julie and David Kusheron, um, the Michael Kim and, and uh, Helen Kim, and Kate and William Ransom. So they're all violin, piano, sibling pairs. And we have a really fun program that's just, um, well, it's fun music, but it's also a little bit, uh, there's a little silliness, let's just say. It's like good silliness in that program. And then we salute the Kusherons with the Songs of Norway um, on our opening weekend. And it's all music of Norwegian composers, chiefly Grieg. Um, and nobody plays all that better than they do. This ambitious programming is also indicative of uh, society opening back up. I seem to recall you had to, at the early on in COVID, you had to cancel a program or two uh, because the artists from out of town actually were not able uh, yes. to either fly or, or whatever the case may be. So right. Luke, back to you. Uh, how, how are you as a musician finding this, this renewed freedom to be able to get out there and, and travel to these places for performing. Well, you're, you're catching me as I'm in Mexico to uh, teach for a few days. So, you know, I, I, I guess I, I can't, I, I have to be honest and say that, you know, it's great. But um, as I mentioned earlier, there, there's a great deal of cautious optimism that we're all approaching this with. Uh, I don't think we want to get too comfortable uh, just yet. Uh, you know, I'm, even in places where people don't necessarily uh, do it uh, for whatever reason. I've been placed in the U.S. where, where you, you think that COVID never happened. People aren't, 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 aren't wearing masks. Uh, restaurants don't have seating um, restrictions or, or capacity restrictions anymore. Uh, I was in a, a place, which I won't mention, a, a few weeks ago where I was um, absolutely blown away. And uh, maybe that's going to be okay and maybe it isn't. But I, I think it's a little too soon to get too comfortable with that. Uh, I think there's a lot of, of, of uh, excitement among musicians like myself who are happy to get back to work. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, I played my first live concert for a real audience. It was a 25% capacity audience, but it was the first time in over a year, someone like me who makes his living playing chamber music for people. Um, it's like 100% of my income and my livelihood. Um, and I played my first concert where, where people actually applauded after I played. I wasn't playing for an empty hall or for a camera in a studio or in a bedroom for a live stream. You know, it's, um, it, was a, it was a really exciting thing. And it's very easy to just kind of feel like we're back. Um, and in a way we are, but uh, I think we, we always have to have in the back of our mind that things could change and be flexible enough to, to roll with that. As much as I hate to say it, because I, I, I'm looking forward to my busy, busy summer. But uh, I think it's wonderful when we remember a year ago, 
all the creative things that classical musicians were doing to cope with, you know, a, a real lockdown, a situation being very different than it is now, uh, in a situation that was ever evolving. Uh, the outpouring of creativity and the quick steadiness of, of, of having the quality of live stream concerts go up very fast in the beginning, you may remember they were quite poor, uh, but, but people are adaptable and, and musicians are resourceful and I think we'll roll with the punches and do what we need to do. But hopefully we've got the, the end in sight here and uh, re return to uh, the way things were before. Absolutely. And you touch on something that, I, that I've always found fascinating that I think a lot of audience members don't think about as, as they're thinking about how much they appreciate the live performance. Um, I'm not sure that they all always realize how much the performers rely on the live audience. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you, t you touched on that really, really nicely, Luke. Well, we've got about a minute left, Kate. So what I'd like to do is uh, give you this last minute to both tell our listeners where they can get more information and then just quickly some highlights on the, the upcoming concerts. Okay, great, thanks. So uh, the best way is through the website. So I'm gonna spell it. That's S like Sam, S-E-R-A, F like Frank, I N like Nancy, Serafin Ensemble.org. So Serafin Ensemble.org or the Music School of Delaware.org. So both of those websites are easily accessible. Uh, tickets are available now, on sale now for all of these concerts, the ones on May 2nd and 5th, and then the Serafin Summer Music, and they're on sale at the Music School of Delaware's website. And with that, thank you so much, Kate Ransom and Luke Fleming for joining us today to talk about Seraphim Ensemble and best wishes in your reopening with live music. It's really exciting. Thanks thank so you, much, Paul. Paul.